You're listening to Locked On 76ers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Today, we're going to be talking about a big matchup with the Memphis Grizzlies on Monday night. Let's get into it. You are Locked On 76ers, your daily Philadelphia 76ers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome into Locked On 76ers. Thank you so much for making us your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Today, we are going to be talking about a big matchup with the Memphis Grizzlies on Monday night to continue the team's five-game homestand. We're going to talk about a win over the Sacramento Kings over the weekend and how the return of Seth Curry can help this team continue to push forward. I am Kai Carlin of Sixers Wire. I got the OG with me, Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Keith, what's going on, my man? What's popping? How you doing, my man? Doing good, doing good. I mean, you know, it's Keith, Monday night. Sixers got a huge matchup with the Memphis Grizzlies. John Morant's going to be coming in here. Uh, the Grizzlies already knocked off the Sixers earlier in the season. Uh, Joel didn't play. Um, Joel is obviously expected to play in this one. So uh, what, what do you make of this matchup? Like, I know it's still January, but, you know, it's the end of January. And, and then the Grizzlies have been playing great basketball lately. Could this be a little bit of a test for this team, I guess, here in the early going? Because on this homestand, they really haven't played, like, any – really good teams per se I mean the Lakers are the Lakers but they didn't have LeBron and the Lakers have been struggling regardless so what do you think of this matchup I mean the Lakers aren't the Lakers anymore bro you see that squad <laughs> so, you know, yeah I mean this is going to be a, a good matchup for the Sixers I mean we're talking about a Memphis Grizzlies team who you know Saturday night they defeated Washington by 20 um, before that they beat Utah by 10 you know they beat San Antonio by 8 I mean this is a team that's really been on the roll I mean, when you look at it, this is a team that has only lost three games since Christmas. You know, they lost to Dallas 112-85 on, on the 14th of, of, of January. Then on the 19th, they lost to Milwaukee 126-114. And then they lost to Dallas again 104-91. to um, You know, the thing about it is we talk about Ja Morant. You know, Ja Morant is, was the, you know, the second overall pick a couple years ago. And it's one of those things where the second pick, you know, has really been a curse for most teams. Like, you know, you, there's guys that go there and they and they mess up. But now you look at him and you're saying to yourself, he's an all-star. I mean, this is his third year in the league. He's an all-star starter. You know, um, Zion Williamson, you know, here's a guy like he ain't even played this year. But right now he looked like his career could be in shambles. But Ja is balling. Jaron Jackson's balling. I mean, like, you know, like like Joel Embiid said, you know, Saturday night, this team has a lot to give. They bring a lot. And let's face it, they basically beat up on the 76ers the last time they played without Ja Morant. Yeah, they really did. Uh, and, and, you know, one can always point out, oh, the Sixers didn't have Joel Embiid that game. But it, it really shouldn't have mattered. You know, you got to be able to, you know, step up to the challenge regardless. So, so Sixers are, are going to be coming into this matchup, and I, I feel like this could be a big game for Joel as well, j- just because he's going up against a guy in Steven Adams who he's a, he's a physical player, Keith, you, you know, and and Steven Adams is a guy who's going to push him. 
He's going to challenge him. He's going to challenge him, not, not just physically, but I feel like mentally too. Like he's just going to kind of like get into him a bit. And Joel obviously has been playing at an incredibly high level, excuse me, over the past, you know, month or so. But Steven Adams, you know, like Steven Adams is going to be one of those dudes, man, where he's just, he's going to get up into him. He's going to bother him. And this is going to be Joel's chance to kind of literally show everybody and continue to grow that MVP candidacy that he has kind of been pushing recently. Yeah, you're right. I mean, when you look at a guy like Steven Adams, you, you say to yourself, okay, like, what does he do well, you know? I mean, he's a solid player. I mean, he's not going to go out there. He doesn't, like, make ESPN highlight-type plays. He doesn't block a lot of shots. He doesn't, like, get a lot of lob dunks or hit threes. It's his physicality. Like, he's a guy that's strong. He moves people off the off the block. I mean, I think that his strength may be his best attribute. Now, granted, you know, he is a quality basketball player. Hell to pit, but he's a quality basketball player. <laughs> but 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 for but the thing is, it's like I remember the first time he played Embiid. Embiid had a great game. He played a quality game. But after that, it just seems like he was the guy who had a lot of success against him because he's physical. And I'm I don't mean hacking. He just moves you off the spot. He's always in there. The one thing that we're probably going to see is. What they'll do is, and this is what they did with him when he was in other spots, whenever Embiid left, leaves the game, he leaves the game. When Embiid comes in the game, he comes back in. So he'll probably match minutes with him. So that's going to be a key thing to pay attention to. Yeah, you make a good point there. And, and, and you know, Keith, like, even when Stephen Adams does go to the bench, like, the Grizzlies can always turn to, you know, some younger options. And, and they're not as physical as Stephen Adams, because, you know, like, nobody is as physical as Steven Adams. I feel like that's just kind of like one bad dude sometimes, man. Um, but Jaron Jackson Jr. is a guy that could, you know, give them some trouble. Um, Brandon Clark, a guy who could give them some trouble. So there's just, the Grizzlies have just been playing really well. And I know the focus is going to kind of be on John Morant. And I do kind of question, Keith, though, like, would you put Matisse, like, on, on Ja like, like for this game? I feel like you have to, right? I mean, yeah, you, 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 that might be their best attribute. I mean, best, excuse me, not best attribute, but that might be their best defense, right? right? <laughs> you know, using the word. Because, like, last time they played, they put Matisse on Dylan Brooks, and Matisse got cooked. Like, he got <laughs> cooked. I mean, Dylan Brooks ended up with 23 points. He was 9 for 15, right? Right. But Dylan Brooks is a big guy. He's a big guy, you know. Um, and, you know, those are he, – he's – he, believe it or not, he's the type of guy that can have success on Matisse. They, like, Matisse is, is, is a good defender, but I feel like he does very well against smaller guards, and he also does well with his quickness against, like, power forwards. But there are certain wings, like a Dylan Brooks type, that typically has success against him, and Dylan has success against him the last time. When you look at Ja, Ja's not a big guy. You know, he's one of those things where – um, Matisse, now it's going to be hard, but Matisse can use his wingspan and, and his quickness and his relentless D to disrupt things a little bit. Now, my thing is, the question is, who are you going to put on Dylan Brooks? You know, because if you put Matisse on the other guy, on, on Ja, I believe that Brooks is going to try to get off. So Danny Green and guys like that are going to have to step up on a defensive end. But to me, yes. You put Matisse on Ja Morant and, and hope that his length 
and his athleticism can disrupt things. Yeah, that's definitely going to be interesting because I'm, I'm always kind of thinking, Keith, like if, if Matisse is going to guard Ja, and you just mentioned the game that Dylan Brooks had in, in this team's first matchup with them uh, earlier in the season, you got to put Seth Curry on, on Dylan Brooks, right? I, I mean, cause, nah, cause because, nah. well, but because, because who else are you going to put on him, right? I mean, who else? Tobias, maybe? Oh, man. Uh, you know, that's, that, that's a tough one. I mean, because I don't know. I mean, maybe you can switch off and do stuff, maybe, but I, I just don't see it. I, I don't. See, the, and the problem is, see, Jaron Jackson, the last game we saw, Jaron Jackson, the thing about Tobias, Tobias is, you know, athletic. He was dealing with his shoulder. But Jaron Jackson is a tar, a, a tough guard. You know what I mean? He's athletic too, but he's bigger than Tobias. So I, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm looking at it um, because you got Baines. Right. You know, it, 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 it's a tough one. Maybe, you know, maybe you do put him on him, but I, I don't know. Or, or maybe, you know what, when we're talking about that, uh, like, I would put Matisse on job, but maybe the Sixers may decide, like, look, hey, um, Tyrese, you got to get Ja, you know, but I think that's going to be a tough matchup. So is uh, Seth Curry. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's going to just – there. there's kind of like a lot that kind of factors into this game when it comes to this matchup uh, with the Grizzlies because, you, you know, it's not just Ja. You know, they got Desmond Bain in there. They got Dylan Brooks. Uh, and I feel like – Dylan Brooks, he actually didn't play in, in their last game on, on Saturday when they knocked off the Wizards, but there is a chance that he could play in this one. But if he does, it just it, it just it offers us so much issues that Philadelphia's going to have to figure out. All right, coming up next, we're going to be talking about Philadelphia's win over the weekend over the Sacramento Kings. But first, let's hear from Built Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions, right? If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good you'll want to eat it. Unlike other protein bars which can be chalky or, or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. You want to eat healthy but this gets so boring. By like week three you might be thinking this is just not worth it. Where's the chocolate? Built Bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Most Built Bars contain 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar which usually has around 240 calories calories 30 grams of sugar and dozens of net carbs and there's so many flavors to choose from coconut almond peanut butter brownie raspberry cookies and cream salted caramel mint brownie and many more in fact built is always coming out with new limited time flavors so check out built.com often to see what's new go to built.com use promo code locked 15 and get 15 percent off your order use promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off at built.com Thank you for making Locked On 76ers your first listen. The NBA trade deadline is Thursday, February 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and Locked On NBA will be covering it live from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Join Kim Becker, John Corrales, Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd, and NBA veteran Antonio Daniels and get analysis of every blockbuster move. Subscribe to Locked On NBA YouTube and turn your notifications on so you know when they go live. All right, Keith, uh, the Philadelphia 76ers were able to knock off the Sacramento Kings on Saturday, 103-101. to it, it, it wasn't like a like an, a hugely impressive game, Keith, especially because when you look at the quality of opponent, the Kings have been struggling. They got some good players, but they've been a struggling team. Um, coming into this matchup, they had lost to the Boston Celtics by 53 points. 
They had um, they trailed the Atlanta Hawks by as many as 30 points the, the, in their next game before coming into Philly on Saturday. And they actually led the Sixers by 17 points in the third quarter before Philadelphia was able to rally. Tyrese Halliburton had a career-high 38 for Sacramento. He had 14 in the fourth, four for four from deep. Uh, for, for you, Keith, what, just kind of what's the biggest takeaway from, from the win on Saturday? You know, I mean, my big thing is really is there's two things. The big thing is how Joel Embiid can – cut turn it on you know what I mean for the second game in a row he struggled a little bit in the first half and then in the second half he just turned it on I think more so than struggling I feel like he's pacing himself so to speak and then he gets that switch but Tyrese Halliburton really showed me something like you know this guy second year point guard um, you know he finished like you said with 38 14 in the fourth but he shot 11 for 19 from the field he was five for nine on threes. He was four for four on threes in the fourth quarter, and he made 11 to 12 threes. He also had three steals, which was a game high. So when you look at him, I'm saying to myself, like, wow, I'm impressed by him. Now, here's the deal. I think that if Tyrese Halliburton, there's a lot of people in Philly saying, yo, they need to trade for Tyrese Halliburton. Let's do this. Let's do this. We have to be – be aware that he's not going to get these many shots and he's not going to have this freedom if he comes to Philly, right? Because it's Joel Embiid, right? And and you also got to understand he's not going to have this freedom when De'Aaron Fox returns like that. So he had a great performance. I I was really impressed by him. But, you know, we just got to realize that, you know, he had a lot of freedom to do what he did because of the guys he was playing with. And he's a great – he'll be a great addition for a team. I just don't think that he'll get those member of shots and, and, and they'll run the offense through him at the Sixers like that. No, I mean, I absolutely agree. Um, and, and, you know, Halliburton was – I thought he was really impressive. Keith. I think the, the biggest shock for me was the, the final three that he hit. Um, he sized up George Niang and – uh, sidestep and he stepped back into the corner. He shot a three-pointer over the backboard and somehow it dropped. Um, and then Philly, Philly, Philadelphia was actually very sloppy in this one, Keith. Uh, I think they've – how many turnovers they finished with? 18. They finished yeah, 18, with 18. Yeah. 18 turnovers. And it, it, it was just like it, – it, it was bad, really. Like there was a five-second violation late, too, that like kind of even gave the Kings a chance. Yeah, that was horrible, dude. The last, that was like on the last – the Sixers' last possession. Yeah, that was bad, dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was after the Halliburton three. You know, that gets Sacramento within two. Um, Sixers had issues trying to get the ball in. Now, granted, the Doc Rivers actually tried to call a timeout, and it looked like he did. However, he got in a little bit too late, five-second violation, and all of a sudden, Keith, that gives the Kings a chance. Then um, it did look like the Kings were actually trying to get Halliburton to take the shot, didn't it? Yeah, but, man. I, I didn't understand. And, and that's the thing with me. It was like It was like a hot potato, like – it was like he would get the ball, they pass it back to him. He would dribble, <laughs> pass it back to him, and then finally he passed it up. And, you know, he passed it up to Harrison Barnes, who was struggling mightily from the field in, in, in the fourth, I mean, in the fourth quarter, right? I mean, Harrison Barnes ended up shooting 0 for 5 from the field, 0 for 4 for 3 after he missed that final shot. And you're saying to yourself, like, I don't know if I would have passed the ball to him. Even Buddy Hill was out there. Was like, no, nope, I don't want to shoot it. I don't want to shoot it. You know, so it was a, it was a bizarre sequence to me. Now I know there's some people who said, but look, he didn't have an open shot. 
when you score 14 of your team's 18 points and you were baking the way you were, you're in a rhythm, athletic guard. I want to see, you know, you could create a shot. But at the same time, the Sixers are excited because they won the game. They escaped with a victory. And the big part of the game to me was when the Sixers were on an 18-3 run, a big part that gave them the lead. But, again, they got the lead against this team. And then we all, everybody and their mom knew leading up to that final sequence that Halliburton was going to shoot, and he did. And I don't know if the moment got too big for him in the end, but before that, the Sixers could not stop him. No, they really couldn't. And looking at it, uh, as you mentioned, Halliburton scored 14 points in the fourth quarter. The team scored 18. The only other king to score in that fourth quarter was Rashawn Holmes. He had four points. And – it just it was kind of just really surprising that Halliburton passed the ball up. Now you mentioned Harrison Barnes was 0 for 5 from the field in the fourth. He was 0 for 4 from deep after the uh, the final shot. I'll be honest with you, Keith. I thought that shot was going to drop from Barnes because we we've seen Harrison kind of knock down those type of shots um, against the Sixers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think about when he was with Golden State. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that game. Yeah. With the Golden State game. Yeah, yeah. And then even, uh, I think even with Sacramento, with, uh, Sacramento, they passed it to him, like, I think at the same spot. I think he had a game winner, like, yeah. at the, to beat a team, like, I think it was Phoenix, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I honestly thought it was going to drop because it was it was a good-looking shot. I just wasn't able to hit it. But, um, but yeah, and, and you kind of – we didn't really touch on Joel yet. I know, you, actually, you touched on him, but we didn't really go into it. Give Joel credit. Um, he had 12 points at halftime. He was one for five from the floor. It looked like, again, Keith, I, I thought this was going to be the game where they were going to rest him on Saturday. Like, I thought they were going to kind of rest him, um, especially after how sluggish he looked in the win over the Lakers. And, you know, he shot one for five in the first half. He was falling all over the floor. You were worried about him potentially getting hurt. Um, but instead, he, he had a big second half. You know, he was able to lead the Sixers to a win. Yeah, at one point, Joel Embiid in the first quarter had more – falls to the floor than shot attempts. Exactly. He had he had three falls yeah. and he had two shot attempts, right? And he I think he ended up with he fell four times in the first quarter, but I know he fell at least five times in the first half. I was like, wow dude. I mean sure, let me ask you a question. Sure. And I know we're objective reporters and stuff like that. We're not fanboys. But whenever Joel Joel crashes to the ground, I'm always like, "Oh boy," right. because it's like, "Okay, am I got do I have to write about this guy getting hurt again?" You know what I mean? It's crazy. See, I'm I'm the same way, right? Because like every time he falls, I'm I'm, I'm like, "Oh, you good? You alright? You good?" Like just and and it's and it's not like a like a I'm like, "Oh my god." The Sixers are, are, are screwed without him, type of thing. Yeah, it's, 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 like, it's, it's, it's more. It's more like you're worried about him as a person. Yeah, be, be yeah, like, yo, are you good? Like, mm-hmm. and then on top of that, man, like, how many times have we written about you know Joel being hurt, you know, throughout his career? And you know, like, I always feel like that's kind of like the biggest thing when it comes to, and and you know, I, I, we're running out of time in this second segment, but. And with the Ben Simmons trade saga, you know, like I, I know there's that thought process out there about everybody wasting a, a season on Joel, and, and like I kind of just think about it, Keith, and he may be 27, but with all the injuries he sustained, you know, like he's, you, you see, you never know how long he can play yeah, at this level. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he the injury he has, a, like he's in his prime right now. He's 27, but he he's I don't know, like yeah, he, like with his injury history, you just want to you want to get it when you can, like cause right. you, there's. Like, tomorrow's not guaranteed for any of us. You know what I mean? Right, so right, right. it's one of those things. You look at them right now, and you just want to say, 
okay, let's just get him this guy that's going to help out. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely – it's tough. It's tough. But, I mean, hey, it, it, it is what it is Like at, at this point. Up next, we're going to be talking about Seth Curry's return to the floor after uh, he missed some time with some left ankle soreness. But first, let's hear from our Locked On NBA podcast team. All right, Keith, so Seth Curry made his return on Saturday. He missed four games with left ankle soreness. I, I thought he looked all right. He finished with eight points. He didn't really shoot all that well. He shot three for ten. Um, I think it was two for seven from deep. He was able to get, get some open looks early. Uh, he had five assists, which I think is you know the biggest number for me, especially with him being able to put the ball on the floor. And as we both know, the Sixers need some ball handlers, they need playmakers. So, I mean, having Seth Curry back is definitely going to help in that regard. So, as they move forward, you know, obviously heading into this game Monday night against uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, how, how big to you is Curry's return and his presence on the floor for this team? I think it's big. I mean, Curry's a guy, you know, the, the first game, they now they lost by like 35 now. Let's keep it 100. Yeah. Like they <laughs> lost by 35. Talking about the Sixers losing to Memphis. Right. Curry didn't play, Embiid didn't play, Ja Morant didn't play, right? Yeah, yep. So they lost by 35. But I think with Curry, you know, he'll come in and, and he's a guy that can come in and he can knock down some shots for you. And if he can hit, like he shot two for seven for three, I mean, they can't have that. They need him to shoot a, better than that. But if they can get that, it's going to open a lot of things up for him. You know what I mean? It takes some of the pressure off of Tobias. It takes, you know, Joel will be – you know, uh, a willing passer as he has been. But I think that, you know, Seth will help out a lot and it will help the team moving forward. I mean, let's face it, when you look at it, their shooters, you know, Danny Green went three for four. You know, I love Danny Green, but, you know, he's, he, that, you know, it's, it's not like that happens often now in his career. Now he's looked more as a defender, right? You know, you got guys like Furkan who's been struggling. George Niang struggled. These guys shot a combined one for seven on threes. So when you have a Seth Curry coming back, it's one of those things where you say to yourself, like, look, you know, you're our shooter. You're our best three-point shooter, and we need you to step up and be well, play well. So I, I think that, you know, that's what makes it huge for him coming back. What do you think? For me, it's it's obviously he's obviously he's the team's best shooter, right? And his presence on the floor allows Joel to, you know, do his thing, man. Just kind of, you know, that gives Joel the space that he needs to operate on the offensive end of the floor. But it's not just the shooting for me. It's the fact that he's another ball handler. And, Good point. And I think Doc mentioned it Saturday after. And, you know, they're, they're still having issues with getting Tyrese Maxey to get into the paint, right? Like it's, it's more just like they are trying to get him to focus on that and continue to um, – you know, get into the paint, set up plays for others. Seth does a really good job of that. And then that helps kind of the offense flow a little bit. So I, I think more so than just the shooting, which obviously is his best attribute. It's his biggest role to this team. It's his biggest part of this team, Keith. But just they, they as we both know, man, they need another playmaker. They need another ball handler. And with Seth Curry out on, onto the floor, that helps Tyrese. That helps Joel. That also helps Tobias a little bit. Um, and then even Matisse with, with him being able to cut off the ball a little bit. And, like, obviously the shooting is huge, but the ball handling is, like, really – I feel like that's kind of a bigger attribute to me just because of the way the offense is run. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. And that, that is a great point because, you know, you get Furcon off of those duties and, and like, like, you know, stuff like that you said. I think that is important because, let's face it, you know, he was the backup point guard since since uh, Shake has been sidelined. And then they had to go to Furcon and, and then, you know, uh, things Tobias had to handle the ball a lot. And I think that it will free Tobias up. You know, Tobias is kind of efficient today. Well, you know, he was 7 for 12. You know, he only attempted two threes. But he had 16 points. He had, you know, eight rebounds. You know, so Tobias is starting to get back into his groove. And, um, you know, I, I think the set, the Seth edition, you know, will open up some things, free some things up for him a little bit. Yeah, that's going to be huge. And, 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 you know, you mentioned Danny Green. Um, and, you know, listen, Danny was huge on Saturday. He had – I feel like, like his impact – Keith, you know, 11 points on Saturday, three for four from deep, four for five from the floor. Um, obviously, he's not going to be handling the ball like the way Seth does. But I feel like Danny coming off the bench, and I know we talked about it earlier, like in a podcast episode, but you know what? Like it may be, it may be time for him to, you know, accept this bench role. I feel like, you know, he's kind of been playing pretty well off this team's bench. Yeah, I mean, I think it also would depend on who they play. You know what I mean, how it is. But you are right. It's funny because, you know, Danny will start a little bit and, and then all of a sudden he'll have those games where he doesn't do anything. And then all of a sudden Doc will bench him. And then we have what we had, to, um, you know, Saturday night, four for five, overall shooting three for four threes. It's kind of like, how dare you bench me? Right. I'm going to prove to you that I'm still that guy. You know what I mean? So, you know, it, it, it's, it's good for him, but – you know, I, I also think that, you know, none of this stuff is uh, knocked on. I mean, it, it's set in stone. Like, I feel like like Matisse had a pretty good offensive game. He only took three three shots, but he made all three, and he, made, he was two for two on threes, right? And I feel as if that Matisse is like one of those things where I can see Doc saying, okay, if you're not making shots and you're not defending and struggling a little bit, I got to take you out of the lineup. That's the reason why I'm saying I don't feel like it's solidified yet. But I do agree that Danny does play better coming off the bench. Yeah, and, and you know what? You make an interesting point about Matisse. It's, it's, it's like because we all know what he brings to this team defensively. You know, he's, he's one of the elite defenders in the game with just the way he comes in and he makes an impact immediately. Um, but – when he's not having a good game defensively, like, I don't think he was all that great defensively on Saturday no. against Sacramento. He picked up four fouls. He had, he had some issues with Halliburton. Um, n- normally, he has a, he does a great job against De'Aaron Fox, but Fox didn't play in that game. Um, so I, I thought Matisse kind of struggled a little bit, but he made up for it with the fact that he did have eight points. Um, as you mentioned, he made all three of his shots, and two of them were triples. And I feel like that's the big difference. And, you know, that, that obviously helps, um, you know, with Seth – out there on the floor as well with the way Seth can shoot the ball. But, Keith, when Matisse is actually knocking down threes, that that's such a huge difference for this team out on the floor. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, again, it is. It opens things up. You know, maybe a lot of times they're wide open threes, so it opens things up. And if he starts hitting them, then all of a sudden, after a while, people will start trying to send somebody running out after him. And all that does is sets up, hey, he can put it on the floor, go in, boom, or he can like pass it inside to Joel and that's a, or, or Tobias cutting and that's like, you know, easy buckets, you know. 
Yeah, and another thing is like you know him cutting off, um, him cutting off the ball. His off ball movement when they dump it into Joel, and obviously Joel gets his double and triple teams. You know it is what it is. You know teams are just gonna have to send him that way. And when Matisse is able to recognize that he has to cut to the basket. Joel's done a pretty good job of being able to find him, and that allows Matisse to get an open look and a layup, a dunk, whatever, to kind of get him in rhythm. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, it was just basically all I was going to say was like, you know, I'm always tough on Matisse because I think we really understand, like, how good he is defensively, Keith. But when he adds to this team on offense, I just it just takes his game to a whole nother level. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, it takes his game and it takes their their game to a whole nother level. Yeah, and it also allows the Sixers to trust him a little bit more. Like, that's definitely, you know, a big step in the right direction when it comes to Matisse and what the teams want, well, want to do moving forward. All right, everybody. Thanks for making Locked On 76ers your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q, with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. With that being said, we're out. We'll see you guys next time on Locked On 76ers. Deuces.